Hey, this is Matthew's Table podcast channel. We wanted to thank you for joining us today. Hope this inspires you, builds your faith, and reminds you of who you are, but more importantly, whose you are. We good? Okay. While they're um, taking up your dollars, and if you don't have one, don't worry about it, but uh, we got plenty of announcements to share with you guys quickly. Um, if you don't know about the prayer room, um, you can put your prayer request over here on these cards and drop them in that bucket there. It says war room, and those will go into the prayer room, and someone they'll be put on the board, and somebody will be praying over those requests daily. So if you believe in, if you've got a problem, and you believe in prayer... I would be very confused as to why that is not on that board in there. So just something to think about. We're committed and um, we want to pray. Uh, and as well as uh, starting out this new year, it's early, I'm trying to get going here. Give me a second. Uh, we want to be a church who prays um, in a radical um biblical way. We want everything that we do moving forward in this year, we want covered in and started with, uh, with prayer. And uh, one way we plan to do that is we've got prayer journals that we handed out at the family meeting Wednesday night. And what we're doing is asking that everybody prays for this first 90 days. Of course, we want you to continue praying, but specifically this 90 days, you journal your prayers so that later this year, we will testify to all the prayers that have been answered. Amen? So if that's something that you want to do, let me or Nick know. We can get you one of those prayer journals. Uh, also, um, if you're new here and you don't know where to give, a lot of people will always ask, hey, where do we give? There's boxes in the back that says um, offering. Or you could also text to give 73256, Matthew's Table all together. Um, so real quick, uh, with the new year, uh, we've got all kinds of new stuff happening. For one, um, you'll notice once you come out that door, there'll be a map of Owensboro there. And our intention is to track our missional pro progress throughout the city of Owensboro over the course of the year. And maybe at the end of the year, uh, see two things. One, everywhere we've been able to uh, reach people, but also where we haven't been. So we know where uh, the Lord would want us to go, right? And it'll be a color-coded system so that everything we do will have a color. There'll be a legend next to it, uh, hopefully by the end of this week. And we can just kind of track everything that we've done throughout the year. So I'm really excited about that. But also, just so you guys know, we have our new logo that we uh, got that we put together, and um, I don't know if Rob has a picture of it. So that's our new logo. Those of you that weren't at the family meeting, I know some of you were. And quickly, uh, all I want you to see is that that's an M and a T, but symbolically the T is the table and the M are the two chairs that are pushed in. And what that's representing is that those seats are empty and there's room at the table for everyone. Okay, so that's our new logo. We're excited about that. Um, and also our new vision statement, which I'm going to share with you in a, in a moment. I'm going to go ahead and pray and we can get started. Father, we just give thanks for uh, a new year. Um, Lord, I give thanks for a new day. Uh, 
another chance at making you famous. Lord, help us this morning see your will for our lives, to see your vision for the church. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. So yeah, good morning and thank you for joining us. If, if you're new to Matthew's table, we're excited that you're here. Um, we're, just, we're really excited just about the new year. And I'm not sure I've ever wanted a year to pass as much as I did 2020, right? Like, praise the Lord, we survived 2020 and we're now in 2021. And maybe much hasn't change, but I'm confident that this year can be a better year, right? And although it was quite possibly the worst year I've lived through, I can say God was very kind to us, providing us with our future home and adding to our number weekly. We have a lot of new faces and families that joined us, and I'm just super excited to see what's in store for 2021, and we hope you are too. We've came a long way since 2017, and there's no doubt that we're in a new season um, just as a church, which kind of provoked and and led the elders to start considering who we are. Um, One thing that we we have noticed over the last year or so is, um, like, who is Matthew's table? Uh, God's been bringing like-hearted people together who have a heart for Jesus and a heart for people to know Jesus uh, versus minded who, you know, I'm a Methodist, so I can only go to a Methodist church or I'm a Baptist, so I can only go to a Baptist church. And, and for me, that's, uh, I'd rather be like-hearted than like-minded, right? And, uh, and so we, we, we were considering those things and, and honestly just who God would want us to be uh, moving forward now that he's moved us into a new location with new people. It was obvious that God was doing something new. Clearly, we are not just the 60 to 100 people passionate about seeing people come to Christ like we were in the first couple of years. So we found ourselves facing the reality we needed to cast a new vision for our future in our new location to narrow our focus and define who we are as a church, right? So when you cast vision, it allows you to stay on track without a vision. The Bible says that the church would perish, right? And being we were a church willing to take risk from day one, I felt it appropriate to remain doing so. So our new vision statement is this here, and Rob will probably put it up there. It's a church in the heart of the city with a heart for the city, committed to looking like heaven, living like heaven, and loving like heaven. One, we are a church. We are a representative. uh, We are ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is in the heart of the city. So where are we located? We're right literally in the middle of the city. And what's our vision? Uh, What's our focus uh, Owensboro is our focus, right? Like there's, um, there's plenty of churches that reach all of the third world countries and do all those things. And there's plenty of mission to be done right here in Owensboro. So that's our focus. Look, wants to look like heaven, live like heaven, and love like heaven. 
And what I want to do uh, for the next three weeks is just walk through this new vision statement, specifically the look, live, and love like heaven part, so just so that everyone's on the same page and we can biblically be assured that this isn't something new or crazy that we're trying to uh, lead the church in. And the first question that comes to mind, why would a church want to look like heaven? And the answer is because it's biblical. It's biblical. And I'll start making my case this morning with the apostle John, who Jesus called his most beloved, that was exiled as a result of his faith, persecution on the island Patmos, and where he's given a tour of heaven by Jesus himself. So if you will, and you have your Bible, you can turn to Revelations chapter 7, verses 9 through 10, or you can follow with us on the screen as I read it to you this morning. Revelations chapter 7, verses 9 through 10. John says he's, he's, he's already been given this tour where he's seeing all these things in heaven and Jesus is revealing what heaven looks like. And this is what he says. After this, just means that he's already seen a bunch of stuff. I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb of God, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Amen. And I realize this this may seem odd to you based on the majority of churches or maybe the majority of your church attending experiences specifically in America all looking like one another, right? And, there, and, and, and before I get started, I, I want everybody to know like, I, there are those exceptions where there are geographical circumstances that would support what they call homogeneous churches, which just means of one color, of one class, of one race, whatever, homogeneous churches. Um, and, and I'm not knocking them, right? right? So like, I, let's be real. It, I would assume if I went to Fordsville, I'd probably go to church and everybody there would look like me. And I'm not picking on Fordsville, I'm just giving an example. And, and I would assume that if I went down on West 4th or West 5th, and went to a church, there's a big possibility that everybody there wouldn't look like me, right? Like, so there are these geographical circumstances where people are, uh, are almost have to go to churches where everybody looks like themselves. However, in most cases, churches look a lot like each other based on preference, by choice. We want to go where everybody looks like us, dresses like us, and acts like us. We want to be where it's convenient and comfortable, like-minded, same color, and in most cases, same social class. And while I may understand the why, like I get human nature, right? That's what we do. It's unbiblical, and it caters to people 
which is a huge problem. And it misrepresents the gospel that promotes unity and unconditional, unconditional color-blinded love. And is contradictory to the early church that we find in the New Testament, which is where I want to start. Because if anyone would ever wonder what to expect at Matthew's table, it would be fairly easy. Open your Bible and read. It's who we want to be. That's our philosophy. I want to open the scriptures. I want to see what the church was doing. I want to see what our Lord Jesus commanded us to do. And then I want us to follow that. And that's how I want to live as a church. It's our philosophy. We aren't interested in opinions and traditions. Because those come and go with people in time. Right? The church worship service looks nothing like it did 50 years ago, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. You've got to be willing to change with time to reach a world. At Matthew's table, we let God and his word influence who we are, not people. There won't be a time where somebody with political power or uh, monetary uh, power shows up at Matthew's table and we say, oh, we need you to do this or that. We need you in leadership, right? It ain't happening. And what many folks think of as radical today is actually just biblical and exactly who we desire to be. So let's start by, let's just begin with Jesus who was on a specific mission from God the Father and took time out to encounter people that were socially and culturally different than him and would have been controversial, right? The Bible says he was a friend of sinners and often criticized for having personal relationships with tax collectors, thieves, and prostitutes. Even being found at Matthew's house sitting at Matthew's table where the religious folk criticized him and challenged him. Not to mention purposely placing himself at the well to minister to the Samaritan woman who, by the way, was a huge no-no. Samaritans were mixed breeds and Jews saw them as being unpurified people. So if you were a Jew, a people of God, you were not to have a relationship with Samaritans. Jews hated the Samaritans. You think we have racial tension? They had a ton of racial tension. Jews hated them, and any relationships with them was forbidden. And finally, in spite of the Romans who were oppressing the Jews, ruling over them, Jesus takes time to minister to one of their military leaders, a centurion, and grants healing to his servant. Jesus personally ministered to people not equal in social status, not worried about racial differences and tensions, and despite what political power people came from, and if Jesus lived that way, so will we at Matthew's table. 
Let's look at another passage in Revelation that reveals to us the role of the church, God's people, right? Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. I snuck this one in. Ah, he got it. Man, he's good. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God. You purchased people by your sacrifice for God from, here it is again, from every tribe and language and people and nation. Verse 10. And you've made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Guys, the church is the kingdom of heaven on earth. Right? Do you know when eternity starts for you? The day you say yes to Jesus. Your eternity begins. Your heavenly home has arrived. And you will be responsible for glorifying God while emulating and exalting Christ to draw all men and women to Him, not based on personal preference. You guys been to the mall during Christmas or you go shopping and um, you pass those people and they're trying to hand you a sample. They like chase you and they're relentless. Do y'all know who I'm talking about? And I've always thought to myself, man, that'd be a tough gig. Like you, I'm almost afraid to take the sample because they're so confident that it's going to be a good thing, right? Like I know if I took the sample, I'd be buying the product. Well, listen, we are like the samples from heaven being given free in the mall that we should desire to advertise Christ in such a way that we are willing to chase people down so that they buy what we're selling, right? Then we consider just one of the apostles' activity in the New Testament. We, we, could, have, we could deal with uh, a few of them, uh, but we're going to focus on the apostle Paul who... Uh, dedicated his life to planning and starting multi-ethnic churches. He left his own hometown on mission to reach the Gentiles, which is just non-Jews. That's all that means, right? There were Jews and Gentiles during the, the uh, New Testament time. By spreading the gospel message to all people, Fulfilling God's earliest promise to Abraham that one day all nations would be blessed through Jesus Christ. Listen, I don't know if you guys have thought about this, but I want to I point you to something. There is one consistent message that was uh, inspired by God through 40 different people over the course of over 1,500 years that tell the same story from Genesis all the way to what we just read in Revelation. Right? Genesis 12, God calls Abraham out, and he says, I'm sending you to a place that you don't know, and I'm going to bless many nations because of your faith. And then the story of the Hebrews is told all throughout the, whole, the Old Testament, constantly pointing us to a Messiah to come who would cause all people and give all people a chance 
to go to heaven. And then Jesus comes in, in the Gospels and then he spreads the message and then he leaves and he sends the Holy Spirit. And then the apostles go out and they spread the message and they plant the churches. And then in Revelation, you see them, con or the, the vision to John confirming everything that's been told since Genesis 12. That's fascinating to me. It's amazing. And we see with just a few verses from the letters that Paul wrote to a couple of the churches that he personally planted and started uh, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. This is what he said. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 11 this is what he tells them. He says, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. Barbarian and Scythian, just for practical application, would be Tennessean or Hoosier, right? Like they'd all get, they wouldn't get along at all, right? And he's trying to promote this message of gospel unity and he's explaining to them, and at the end of that verse, he says, Christ is all and is in all. And my hope this morning is that you're starting to see God's plan for the church. And his plan for the church is to be diverse. Because it best demonstrates the power of the gospel. A transformational message that tears down walls of hostility that we allow to come between us. And just to see the difference in how leaders were selected in the early church uh, in comparison to today. Look, here's the deal. Uh, most churches would not hire me, Nick, and Stephen as a pastor. I'll just be honest with you. Most churches wouldn't hire uh, the disciples today as leadership in the churches, right? And as the early church grew and God was increasing its number, the book of Acts tells us that the leadership was very diverse. For example, in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, tensions rose between those from different cultural linguistic groups, namely the Hellenistic Jews and the Palestinian Jews or the Hebrew Jews. And practical application for today, it'd be like the Methodists and the Baptists. They start bickering. And they were claiming that one group was getting more attention than the other, implying partiality or preference, which James chapter 2 says is sin. The apostles, they didn't separ separate them or segregate them, but resolved the issues through appointing men from the minority groups for the work of the service. So they look in the crowd and they say, hey, I see different colors, different classes, different races. Let's pour into them, invest into them, raise them up, and then appoint them as leadership in the church. That's how they resolved those issues. Acts further reinforces the diversified nature of the early church by telling us about the diversity of the leadership in the church of Antioch, which is the first major Christian church um, 
since Jesus had ascended. And in Acts chapter 13, it says, which included a former Pharisee, which was Paul, a former Gentile, which was Lucian, a former Levite, which was Barnabas, a member of the court of Herod, which is Menean, and a man of dark skin, Simeon, they called Niger. People from all different people groups were the leadership in the church, different groups of people. And if back then they were to take a church photo, it would be very uh, unlike many of the church photos that you see today because it'd be mixed. There'd be all kinds of different people and uh, different colors and everything, right? And so we now know that Jesus, Paul, and the early church were all intentional about being diverse in race, color, class. Yet in America, Sunday morning is the most segregated hour of the week. We got white churches, black churches, biker churches, Asian churches, Latino churches, rich churches, Poor churches. Heck, we've even been uh, labeled a recovery church here at Matthew's Table, which I'll be honest with you, I don't have a problem with because mainly everyone's in recovery from sin. You've either been sinned against or someone has sinned against you. Amen? Everybody's in recovery from sin. Don't bother me. Here's an excerpt from a book that we read earlier this year, uh, Derwin Gray. High-definition leader. 13.7% of American churches are multi-ethnic, which means 86.3% are homogeneous of one color, of one class, of one race. That's 10 times more segregated than the neighborhoods they are in and 20 times more segregated than the local schools that they attend. Our neighborhoods are ethnically diverse, but the local church, which is supposed to exist as a community of God's reconciliation, is not. Our public schools are ethnically diverse to some extent, but the local church, which is supposed to exist as a display of God's love for all people, is not. Our military is multi-ethnic, but the local church, which exists as a powerhouse, a showcase of Jesus, unifying, is not. Our nightclubs are ethnically diverse, but the local church, which exists as God's new humanity, brought into being through life, death, resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus, is not. There's diversity everywhere but the church. This is me now. Now, think about that for just a moment. Where people have the choice, they choose to segregate. And so figuratively speaking, hell says, we'll leave the light on for you. And heaven, God's people, seems to be only open on Sunday based on reservation. Which means heaven, we have a problem. We have it all flipped upside down. 
And it gives us two good reasons we should be committed to and pursue being a unified church with all colors, all economic classes, and all sides of the street. Listen, in Owensboro, if you aren't going to a multi-ethnic church, it's because you are choosing to. It takes 15 minutes to get anywhere in Owensboro, period. Right? So one of the first reasons is simply to correct what the church has messed up. First reason, heaven came down. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Meaning, heaven has now invaded earth and is present full access by way of the Son Himself. Many folks, including myself at one time, felt like and thought that I had to go to church so that I could go to heaven. And although it may improve one's chances due to hearing the gospel and being exposed to the Word of God that brings dead men to life, it's the furthest thing from the truth. Heaven came to earth and is easily obtainable. It's the grace of God by faith alone and the crucifixion of Christ alone for our sins that allows for all people to be welcomed into the kingdom of heaven. Not limited to when you die based on what you do or don't do, but by your receiving what He's done for you. Jesus coming to us from heaven caused two worlds or two kingdoms to collide. And when he left us, he promised to send the Holy Spirit to dwell within us, which is a little piece of heaven that resides in us, causing us to desire God and allowing us to obey God. Second reason. We believe by committing to look like heaven, diverse in color and class, we can be just as attractive as hell is. Can I be frank with you guys for just a minute. Aren't interested in the church, but to be real about it, hell looks a lot more attractive to me. And the reason is it seems to be more inclusive, welcoming. And the church seems to be more exclusive. And that, ladies and gentlemen, has to change. Can we blame people for not choosing heaven when heaven's people acts like a high school social club? Churches who gather based on their preferences and partialities make many people feel excluded. And while that may not bother some of you, it bothers me to think that someone would look at a local church and not see what someone like themselves and never step foot in the door. And to be honest with you, it takes something supernatural for humans not to segregate and divide and testifies to the power of the gospel. So to look like heaven can cause people to desire heaven. And if we want others to desire a heavenly home, we have to die to our personal desire to be a church that's comfortable and seek to look like a bag of M&Ms on Sunday. Matthew's table welcomes doctors and drug addicts, rich and poor, young and old, black and white, 
homeless and homeowners. We want cops and robbers. Even worse, we want religious people. Because we trust that the gospel can set them all free. And a diverse church is the remedy for a diverse world, broken in desperate need of a solution. Music team can start heading this way. As you can see, two very good reasons to commit to looking like heaven. Amen? Yet we also realize there's a risk by committing to this. Some Christians would never worship with someone that didn't look like them. Or worship with those who were beneath them. Which goes without saying, this is a risk worth taking. And here's how we intend on accomplishing it. First things first, it's by casting the vision for the church that Jesus gave us 2,000 years ago. Found in the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. And one thing I I will say is I've always felt what someone has to say as their final words would have a ton of significance, right? For example, there's a brother here in the church, Matt Schaup, whose granddad was dying, and he was a pastor for 20, 30 years. And Matt had texted and was like, hey, you mind coming out to granddad's? He has cancer. He'll be dying within six months. And would you, you know, would you pray for him? And I was like, yeah, that's, you know, that's my priestly duty. I'd be glad to. I'd be honored. So I go out there. And uh, God bless this man. He ended up ministering to me and praying for me. And I remember uh, asking him this question. Look, I'm a pup. You know what I mean? I'm an amateur at this. The Lord called me to it. And, and, and I'm just obeying him and trusting him. What would, what would be your advice before you leave earth to, to go to your heavenly home? And he said, Roger, just always keep it real. Just always be real with your people. And I will never forget that. I will never forget that. But I also can't forget what Jesus said in the Great Commission as he was leaving the disciples. He tells them this in verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples, here it is again, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And then also in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, this is what Jesus says. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Make no mistake about it. The vision was clear. Tell the world that Jesus has come and that Jesus is king. And if the Great Commission don't do it, give them the Great Commandment. Mark 12, 31. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. The first is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, who's your neighbor? The person next to you, where you live, where you work, where you hang out, it's really that simple. And by the way, notice that he doesn't say, love all the white folk or all the black folk, Asian folk, rich folk, poor folk. He says your neighbor. 
as yourself. Meaning, if you see a need in a neighbor, you should meet that need. And by doing so, they see love in a tangible, physical way, which will lead them to ask you why you did what you did. And notice in the two greatest commandments, who's not mentioned? Ourself. It says, love God and love your neighbor. That means by obeying the two greatest commandments, you accomplish the two greatest reasons for committing to look like heaven. Love has no barriers because it crossed over from heaven to earth. Love sees no color because it ministered to all nations, tribes, tongues, and people. Love sees no economical class because it ministered to both the rich and the poor. Love saw a need and provided the solution in the same way God so loved the world, He sent His one and only Son, so that whosoever, whosoever's everyone, believes in Him may not perish but have eternal life with the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and His people, the church. So for those of us who have a hard time with this truth, confess it to God this morning. My family raised me to be racist. My family raised me to not hang out with those people. Plead and beg God to give you the grace. Go from racist to gracious. Ask Him to help you to want to look like heaven. Because if you don't like the local church that's diverse in color, class, race, you ain't going to like heaven. But for those of you who have not made heaven your home this morning, let today be your day. Surrender your way of running things and run to Jesus. And finally, if you didn't hear anything I had to say this morning, I hope you hear this. You don't have to work your way to heaven because heaven worked its way to us by stepping down and then stepping up to take on your sin and my sin, dying on a cross and providing a way to have a heavenly home. And I pray if you haven't done that yet, you do that today. Hey, thanks for joining us today. A special thanks to those who sow into this ministry. If you'd like to partner with us financially, text all one word, Matthew's Table, to 73256. That's Matthew's Table to 73256. It's because of you this ministry is possible. If you like what you've heard, click the subscribe button and share it with your friends. You never know what God can do through your one act of obedience. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. God bless.